Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Roto-World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, and yes, we are back after week one. I hope you all won. I hope you all succeeded, or at least enjoyed the entertainment and had a little fun along the way. So in this episode, if you are new to these recap podcasts, we have blurbers assigned to games each and every Sunday, so we ask them to take about seven to ten minutes per game, outline what happened, things you could not see in the box score, a little bit of the eye test, a little bit of usage, all that good stuff for your fantasy players so we can spin that forward to next week. If you enjoy this episode at all, please leave us a rating and review. You've helped us so much this last month. I really appreciate it. So if you could just take you know 10 or 15 more seconds, leave five stars, leave us a little comment. It means the world. Just a reminder of what the schedule is going to be this week. On Tuesday, we have the 15-minute waiver pod with John Daigle. Then we are back on Wednesday evening with Denny Carter and Patrick Doherty. And then we are back on Thursday night slash Friday morning with our preview pod, Daigle, Hayden, Pat, and myself. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, here we go. Let's get it started. Despite being one-point road dogs, which we were stunned by on the Road to Road Football Podcast preview show, 
Seattle Seahawks go into Atlanta and win 38-25. to Patrick Darty had this game. Pat, it was a near-perfect day for Russell Wilson and so much passing volume. We love to see it. 31 completions, 35, yard, 35 attempts, 322 yards, and four touchdowns. Was this just Russ cooking early and often? He was cooking. Uh, cooking the uh, Falcon. The uh, horrible joke I told myself not to make. <laughs> Then I just did, but uh, yep. it came to fruition. I truly, I didn't think they would follow through on it. I didn't think Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer had it in them. Uh, but I mean, this was, I mean, it's it's not even, it's not just like they let him cook. I mean, they, they let him cook and then he cooked. Like this was the platonic idea. This is what we've desperately wanted for years. Throwing on first down, pre-snap motion, going forward on fourth down, a little more play action. They gave uh you know, DK Metcalf opportunities and single coverage. They were just like, this was a different kind of Seahawks offense. And, you know, there's some people at school of thought, you know, even amongst some smart uh, Twitter people, Twitter, Twitter people, is that a thing? That's a late on this Twitter Sunday folk. Night. Twitter folk that, uh, you know, even like advanced analytic Twitter people that like think Russell Wilson wouldn't be Russell Wilson, you know, if he was used the way we've always like dreamed about him being used. Uh, but that was not the case. Completed hmm. 89% of his passes, big plays to a number of different receivers, well, big plays to the running back and the passing game. Chris Carson had two receiving touchdowns. And basically the people demanded it, they got it, and then the people were right. And you love to see it because, I mean, hopefully this just means Brian Schottenheimer is going to continue to do it. Let's talk about some of those receivers. I mean, you mentioned early in that first drive, it seemed like Chris Carson had multiple swing passes or screen passes on that first drive. He finished with six receptions, 45 yards, two touchdowns. DK Metcalf had a fourth down conversion for a touchdown, eight targets, four receptions, 95 yards in a score. And Tyler Lockett also had eight targets, eight receptions, 92 yards. This is efficient. This is explosive, Pat, and it's winning at all levels. It's a, it's like this is Russ. He, Russ just kept doing what he 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 didn't become less Russy on more volume. He just stayed <laughs> as efficient and explosive as he always is. It turns out he doesn't. You know, if he goes beyond twenty five attempts, he doesn't magically lose his powers. Like he stayed. Imagine Russell. that. Yeah, he was, so. he was also the team's leading rusher with twenty nine yards. I mean, we think so much about, especially with positive game script, which it seemed like the Falcons had uh, that they would just run the football. I mean. Carlos Hyde got seven carries for 23 yards in a score. Chris Carson, just six carries, 21 yards. Chris Carson looked like an absolute battering ram in this game, Pat. He did. He's running with the pure violence, and that was a strange thing. So first, yeah, I mean, if the Seahawks scored 38 points and a win, you know, a double-digit win, and you told someone their lead running back only had six carries, I mean, you would have about fainted before today. And that was one strange takeaway. It was the Carlos Hyde out-carrying Chris Carson seven to six, and it wasn't like he got like five carries on like a garbage time drive. They were like sprinkled in throughout the game, so that was a little bit weird. I think it was just a fluke. I mean, I can't call it a game flow fluke, but clearly just a fluke of some sort. And even you know, the more pedal to the metal now, and apparently involves more uh, targets to the running backs. We know that's not Carlos Hyde's forte. Outside of one season in San Francisco where he did catch like sixty passes, uh, it's never necessarily been Chris Carson's forte either. But I mean, it was today. Uh, so I wouldn't read – people will see this box score and wonder why Carlos Hyde had more carries than Chris Carson. I wondered if they would ease Chris Carson into the season. Hmm. You know, someone who has proven that like uh, the violence they run with will get them hurt. But it didn't seem like they were limiting Chris Carson. It just seemed like a, a strange kind of like a fluke. We, of- yeah, we, we've seen the Falcons defense just 
leave open receptions to running backs for like years and years and years. And you'd think that they, at some point they'd fix it. They just did not uh, quickly. Anything on Greg Olson? I mean, four targets, four receptions, 24 yards and a score, you know, some tight ends, let people down around the rest of the league. Ian Thomas, Austin Hooper, for example, is there anything meat in the bone here for Greg Olson? You think? He played, I think, 40 to 50 snaps. So he wasn't like a like a truly like situational player or anything like that. He seemed to be a real part of the offense. I mean, they did still give two targets to Will Disley. Jacob Hollister had a catch. So the peripheral guys were involved. I mean, Greg Olson, it was only four, he caught four passes, but it was all four of his targets. And yeah, you know, early in the season, especially, you probably won't really see Greg Olson going beyond that. And he could be like the classic veteran. Maybe they get him more involved down the stretch of the season as the games get quote unquote more important but he's going to have a tight end two floor every week but i mean i think we the ceiling pretty much probably non-existent like he's he's kind of in kyle rudolph land Hmm. well the people we expected to perform the falcons did that i mean matt ryan 450 yards on 54 attempts 37 completions two touchdowns and an interception i mean so much of that went to julio jones 12 targets for julio 157 yards nine grabs no scores because it's julio uh (laughs) Instead, Calvin Ridley got the two scores on nine also receptions on also 12 targets, 130 yards. But Pat, the surprise out of nowhere, I mean, Uh. Russell Gage, Russell Gage, (laughs) another 12 targets, nine receptions, 114 yards. Was it like mandated that each player, each receiver had to get the same amount of opportunities here? So Russell Gage just lucked into it. What happened? Yeah, I know three nine of twelves for over a hundred. That is some rare triplet symmetry that you will never see again. Probably, uh, I would like to say it's completely random for Russell Gage. It was pretty random, uh, it, but it wasn't even his career high in targets because he got thirteen his last game he played in week seventeen. So I just don't know if this is like a warning light for kind of like the Hayden Hurst party that maybe the Falcons like actually really like Russell Gage as the third passing option in their offense. Uh, he got a, he too, it, it was almost didn't happen. He got evaluated for a concussion, but he was thankfully cleared. But I mean, he was definitely, he was Muhammad, Muhammad Sanuing it uh, with the best of them over the middle of the field. And yeah, that, it, that's definitely something to watch going forward. And I guess if you're already in a PPR league where you do not like like a 12 to 14 team league, where you do not like your receivers, uh, you could probably do worse than a Russell Gage mm-hmm. flyer, especially ahead of a Cowboys matchup. Say about the touchdowns, this Julio man, it's just one of Calvin Ridley's touchdowns was because Jamal Adams and Shaq Griffin just plowed into each other. And Calvin Ridley was just standing there. And so like that kind of stuff happens for Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones made a circus catch over Shaq Griffin, like the kind of catch that only he can make. And, you know, he goes scoreless for the day. So yep. I would like to say it's fluky, but I mean, we said the whole thing, Andre Johnson, we said the same thing, Andre Johnson's whole career. And uh, some of us are just doomed to a life without touchdowns. Still, still, well, you and I are for sure. Uh, yeah. Still love Julio though. <laughs> I do want to bring up Hayden Hurst because Austin Hooper just had so much volume. And tell me if this theory is wrong. Okay. His stat line, five targets, three receptions, 38 yards. We know how much the Seahawks have invested in their linebacker group. And we know how much they've invested in it and their safety group with Jamal Adams and Quandre Dix. Maybe this just simply was not a Hayden Hurst game and instead was a three wide receiver set game with Russell Gage because they felt better, comfortable, more comfortable attacking that, you know, fifth defensive back rather than that linebacker and safety group that the Seahawks do put up in the field. Yeah, I mean, listen, I was someone who came out of the summer with almost no Hayden Hurst shares. Like I never had him in my top 12 tight ends, but even being that kind of person, like that kind of like quote unquote believer in Hayden Hurst's game, like there was no clear takeaways 
uh, from his usage today. Because like you said, I mean, the Seahawks linebacker core, notoriously difficult, I mean, and their safety core, notoriously difficult against tight ends. And today, Jamal Adams, the new Jamal Adams, was just all over the field, wrecking plays, wrecked a few drives. And and Hayden Hurst, only five targets, but one of them was he got a step on Shaq Griffin and Jamal Adams and made a really athletic, diving 27-yard catch. So even as someone who wasn't in love with like Hayden Hurst's ADP and like maybe thought uh, his, his fantasy outlook was a little too aspirational. I didn't come away from this game thinking like, Oh, I was right about Hayden Hurst. Like, it's just, I think you're, you're right. It just wasn't his day with the game plan. And this was not the right team for him to be making his Falcons debut against and having like a, like an Austin Hooper type of day. Closing out with the backfield. How did Todd Gurley look? 14 carries, 56 yards and a score. You know, Todd Gurley last year didn't always look bad with a head of steam, like downhill. And that remained the theme today, too. He looked good downhill. But he looked – I'd say he looked solid side to side, maybe a little more limber, maybe a little looser than he was last year. His touchdown was like a, a true leaping one-yard touchdown over the pile. And he, he only had, uh, what, what, 12 carries. or He only had like one or two catches, too. So not a ton of touches, but that's because – uh, the Falcons were losing 14 to three in the first quarter and then 28, 12 at halftime. It just was not a good Todd Gurley game flow today. Um, but Todd Gurley, I think basically you saw what you signed up for today. If you made Todd Gurley your RB two, and probably usually with four to five more touches and what we saw from Todd Gurley today, we can work with. Pat, you assigned these games to the writers every single week and you took it upon yourself to go down with the sinking <laughs> ship. Some might say to fall on the sword because your next game was the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets with the Bills <laughs> winning at home 27 to 17. Josh Allen's stat sheet, Pat, looks quite promising. 33 completions on a whopping, a whopping 46 attempts, two touchdowns, also had a rushing score on 57 yards. One, was it that promising? And two, why the heck with this much positive <laughs> game script did – the Buffalo Bills allowed Josh Allen to attempt 46 passes. It was strange. So it was by far a new career high for Josh Allen for pass attempts and also a career high for passing yards. It's his first ever 300-yard game. And I mean, we, we got like the full Josh Allen experience today. And so one of the reasons I wanted to watch this game is because I've debated Josh Allen with you and like everyone else in Rotor. Not that you everyone thinks Josh Allen's amazing, but I debated – Josh Allen's fantasy case over and over again this summer. And so I was very interested to see this game, kind of see like the, the latest new iteration of Josh Allen. And I just, the first quarter was the best quarter I've ever seen Josh Allen play. Like he looked like a genuine playmaker finally, like not someone who just had the tools to make plays, you know, he not like a toolsy player, like an actual playmaking player, you know, very dangerous as a runner. It seemed like much more confident and decisive as a passer, but then he lost that first fumble and he, he didn't go off the rails today. I mean, we ended up just getting a full Josh Allen performance where he had two very careless fumbles. Uh, he took two third down sacks. Uh, he had a 29-yard completion to Cole Beasley that was a nice big play, but it should have probably been a 64-yard touchdown. Uh, but he didn't hit him in stride. And then you've probably seen the gif or the highlight or whatever, just missed John Brown just literally all alone in the end zone and just completely airmails him. And – I, I, I did see – I saw the gears moving faster for Josh Allen today. But then, yeah, still just a little too much of the sloppy mistakes. And But something, though – I, 
it's interesting you ask why did they attempt 46 passes when they dominated the game from the opening whistle and maybe they just really wanted to press the issue it was no preseason just really try to get Josh Allen as many passing reps as possible and try to get him in rhythm and he was in rhythm for a large portion of this game but yeah, we saw both Josh Allen's so we saw the best Josh Allen I think we've ever seen and it wasn't the worst Josh Allen we've ever seen with the mistakes but we still got uh, hmm. just enough of the bad to go with the good to kind of call it an inconclusive performance. He had two fumbles, right? I mean, he is just like a pedal to the floor player, no matter what. And that gets you the good and that gets you the bad. He's a roller coaster, Pat. And you know, I'm not building an NFL franchise, right? <laughs> like the closest thing I get to it is building a freaking fantasy team. And so I like entertainment. And I think you and I can both say that Josh Allen is just fun. He's entertaining. And it's because of those highs and those lows. Um, a bit of the choices you can always question those but in the end you can be like yeah that was an experience that was an experience and i i thought he was more fun today too though because it just didn't seem quite so random he seemed to like just more like a a true playmaker and not someone again who has tools that would occasionally like bumble into a big play it it all felt a little more natural today Uh, definitely something to build off of well you talked about john brown who had 70 yards and a score you talked about cole beasley who had 58 yards Another big question this offseason was Stephon Diggs and how he's going to fit in this offense. Uh, he had nine targets, eight receptions, was the leading receiver with 86 yards. Pat, how did it look out, out there in the field? Unfortunately, it looked disappointingly more like pre-2019 Steph Diggs, where he only had two catches that were longer than 11 yards, and they were 14, and I believe 22, and just didn't. So Josh Allen's timing yeah, was still not great down the field today. And they didn't really attempt because they didn't need to attempt many deep shots. I mean, they were up 21 to nothing very early in this game. Um, but we, yeah, we didn't get really any insight into what this downfield connection between Steph Diggs and Josh Allen's going to be like. You know, that's going to be one of the keys to the Bills season, obviously, and definitely the key to Steph Diggs' fantasy season. Because what we, what we saw today was like floor based Steph Diggs, which we got before 2019 in Minnesota. But and we want that ceiling. I mean, Steph Diggs, is, he's he's talented enough where, like, in the right situation, he could be the number one overall receiver in fantasy, I feel like. Hmm. But I just don't think this is obviously going to be that kind of situation. And th- it, it just felt inconclusive, though, uh, again, uh, with Steph, because we didn't see them really try to test the connection at all downfield. Talk to me about the backfield. Both had nine carries, and Devin Singletary, he took his for 30. Zach Moss took his for 11. Devin Singletary had more targets. Seven targets, five receptions, 23 yards. Zach Moss had four targets, three receptions, 16 yards, and a score. Is there anything we can pluck moving forward here? Well, Devin Singletary had almost all of the advantages, very narrowly, uh, where I believe he got the official start. I've been saying that, so I I need to actually double-check the game (laughs) book, uh, but I'm pretty sure he got the official start. PFF, as of Sunday afternoon, had charted him about uh, out-snapping Zach Moss 49-39, to he outtouched him 14 to 12. He outgained him, I think, like 53 to 20. Uh, but so obviously it was all very close, though. And where one of them had a decisive advantage was Zach Moss had all the touches inside the five yard line. It was four, t- maybe five, I believe four touches inside the five yard line, one of which was a four yard touchdown reception. And, you know, if that, so basically it was exactly what the Bills beat writer core predicted, like to a T that Devin Singletary probably has a slight advantage, but Zach Moss was going to be involved as a pass catcher and probably get the first shot as the goal line back. And that is what happened. And if that's what remains the case going forward, I mean, then Devin Singletary's RB2 candidacy is kind of just dead in the water. And uh, yes, it was basically exactly like what uh, the Bills press score had predicted. Good job on them. All right. Let's go to the Jets side, Pat. 
Sam Darnold stat line. We can skip this one. 21 of 35, 215, one touchdown, one interception, and three sacks. Um, Is Sam Darnold breaking or is he broken? Man, I don't. I mean, he's at that. He's at that Sam Bradford moment of truth where if he's not Ooh. broken, I mean, he's he's about to break into. And it's just frustrating, you know, for such a player with such raw talent and such a player with such like a good attitude too, like a, a very even keeled, uh, not an excuse making type of quarterback. But I mean, just we saw a quarterback with no weapons, as we knew. We saw a quarterback with. Apparently an improved offensive line, but offensive line that did not have much time to gel during the summer. A quarterback with a, ru- a rushing attack, you know, just going nowhere again. And Le'Veon Bell then hurting his hamstring. And, you know, the touchdown was kind of fluky. Jamison Crowder, it was a 69-yard touchdown where he broke a tackle and then very, very slowly uh, went to the house. Um, the interception was not fluky. It was one of the – maybe the worst decision made by any quarterback in the entire league on Sunday. It was – rolling to his left on a third down then threw across his body into a crowd in the middle of the field. And like, that's where you're like, you're basically putting up a sign. Like I want to throw an interception. Uh, and he did. And uh, but yeah, I mean, if he's not broken, he's getting close because this is very dangerous Sam Bradford territory. I know it paid off. I mean, James McCrowder, we all expected him to get just massive volume this year, 13 targets, seven receptions, 115 yards and a score. You mentioned how that, you know, long touchdown was a bit fluky. Chris Herndon, you know, we expect him to get volume. He was getting rave reviews from Adam Gase, who maybe is going to be left at the stadium. Uh, seven <laughs> targets, six receptions, 37 yards. I don't know, Pat. I mean, we talk about, and, and I've kind of been on this train for a little bit, but we, we talk about garbage time. We talk about teams that are going to be, you know, in negative game scripts and how they're going to have to throw the ball. So it might be interesting and worthwhile to have those pieces. I think the Jets are like the reason why we don't want to do that, right? Because in order to do that, you have to play like crap for three quarters and then hope you just are able to start up your offense when you want to in the fourth quarter. Because I don't know. I mean, again, we talked about Crowder getting volume, but literally there are no other pieces right now. And maybe this changes and it's just week one. There are no other pieces on this offense that I feel comfortable starting at all. Yeah, I mean, the Jets are kind of like the dark side of garbage time because you get some quarterbacks that are fun from play play from behind. Jameis Winston, you know, Phillip Rivers, they're going to throw picks, they'll throw some touchdowns. You know, they're not like rattled by the rush. Uh, but Sam Darnold's the kind of quarterback, you know, in garbage time where the other team gets to pin their ears back and basically just kind of tee off, blitz with impunity. Not even blitz, just get after you with impunity. Like he's like he he's not set up for garbage time. Like he's someone I feel like he needs to be playing with a lead right now. And I, Sam Darnold's not someone who's going like to learn anything in garbage time. I think he's just going to get kind of like further down the spiral of like his struggles. And cause we saw that time and again last year, like where there was garbage time, that's where like he like really went off the rails, you know, they'd be down big at halftime and there wouldn't be, uh, you know, a lot of bonus points uh, after the break. And there actually were today. I mean, they did, most of their scoring came in garbage time, but yeah, I mean, it was not again, and not to call Jameson Crowder's touchdown like totally fluky. I mean, he had to break a tackle. It was a good yeah. play by him, but you know that's not usually the recipe uh, for a passing touchdown. Is a sixty-nine yard touchdown where your slot receiver breaks a tackle. So yeah, I mean, it's just hard to see. Sam Darnold's is basically like uh, he's like a void until further notice and DFS and redraft, whatever you, whatever format you're in. The New England Patriots with Cam Newton's debut win at home, twenty-one to eleven. 
Hayden Winks covered this game for us. Hayden, super simple question. What did the Patriots offense look like with Cam Newton in charge? Nothing like the Tom Brady offense. This was a heavy two-receiver offense, um, and we even didn't even see Julian Edelman in two-receiver sets. This is going to be one of the most run-heavy teams in the NFL this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they are like 30th, like 28th, 29th in pass attempts this year. Um, but Cam Newton himself looked good, man. His his foot looked ready to go. His arm looked fine. Uh, I think that there's a lot of reasons to be bullish, at least short-term for the Patriots, just because Cam Newton looked pretty solid out there. 15 of 19, 155 yards, took two sacks. It seemed like those were like immediate miscommunications along the offensive line. He was also the team's leading rusher. I mean, 15 carries, 75 yards, and two touchdowns, a long run of 12 yards. I mean, this is old school Cam Newton pound the football in short yarded situations because he's one of the best to ever do it in that area. He is, and the Patriots kind of set, set him up perfectly. They invested a ton in on the interior offensive line here. This is one of his best offensive lines he's ever played behind, and immediately they gave him two option plays where he took where he kept the ball uh, on the first drive, had like about eight yards and 12 yards on them, and then once he got into the red zone, it was like very clear that he was going to be a major threat down there. Um, I think Sonny Michelle had one uh, goal line carry um, for a touchdown, but Cam Newton's going to be very involved down there. He had two um, – outside runs where he just beat defenders down to the corner of the end zone. So if you have any Cam Newton, like really long shot MVP tickets and stuff, at least this is looking a little bit better. I'm not going to fully go there because there's Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson, but Cam Newton looks really good. Oh, you love to see it. You love to see it. Uh, it's a very Sonny Michelle line of 10 carries, 37 yards and a touchdown, a long run of seven yards. I want to go back to what you said though, with Julian Edelman, he wasn't even in there in all Two wide receiver sets. I mean, there were some murmurs and some rumblings that he wasn't completely healthy during camp. He was the team's leading receiver, seven targets, uh, five receptions, 57 yards. But is that, you know, concerning at all that we're not going to see the same type of, you know, almost 1,000 yard volume from Julian Edwin that we get when he's healthy? Well, I wonder if we're going to be overreacting to this. Yes, we want to chase snap counts here, but we want to look at routes run in particular. And I would guess, I don't have the data in front of me quite yet. But I would guess Edelman ran a route on most of Cam Newton's dropbacks just because when Cam Newton was passing the ball, they were turning to three wide receiver sets. That's when Julian Edelman came into the game. He just wasn't out there in two receiver sets when the Patriots were running the ball. That doesn't really matter that much for fantasy purposes. We just want Edelman in there on passing down. So I think maybe you tinker down Edelman's expectations, like Dan, like the wide receiver three flex range. But I wouldn't overreact to this just if his snap counts were down from last year. Nikhil Harry, six targets, five receptions, 39 yards. I do want to bring up James White. Uh, James White, just one target. No, excuse me. I was looking at J.J. Taylor, who played a lot more than I expected. He looks uh, but, pretty explosive. Yeah. James, James White, three targets, three receptions, 30 yards, but only five carries for 22 yards. I actually pivoted over in multiple leagues to James White because Miles Sanders was out in those same lineups. I mean, I guess because the Patriots were up on the scoreboard, this kind of wasn't really the game script that James White could thrive in. Yeah, that's exactly it. The Dolphins didn't – they weren't really competing here with the Patriots. The Patriots had – they weren't like ex, an explosive offense, but they were in control the entire time. So it just wasn't the right game script for James White. I think we'll have better days. I think it's just going to be Julian Edelman, James White, and then to a lesser extent, Nikhil Harry in the passing game. Shifting it over to the Dolphins. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 20 of 30, 191 yards, three interceptions – just one sack. 
Was it as ugly as it looks on the score sheet? It was, and it got uglier once Devontae Parker exited with a hamstring injury. This is the same hamstring that he was dealing with earlier in the week and throughout training camp. We don't, with the preseason, there's kind of these injuries that kind of snuck up onto us where we just weren't fully expecting this kind of ha- what happened with Miles Sanders. I think Devontae Parker's probably looking at maybe missing next week or beyond. Uh, who knows with these soft tissue injuries? Um, but that's great news for Preston Williams, who was completely bottled up by Stephon Gilmore. This is the second straight game that he's played in where Bill Belichick has used Stephon Gilmore on Preston Williams instead of Devontae Parker. So that's just something to remember the next time these guys line up. But um, we'll see about Preston Williams. He faces Tredavious White next week. So you're not going to want to play him then. But if beyond <laughs> then, if Devontae Parker is still lingering and out, you could see some uh, wide receiver three flex weeks out of Preston Williams. Devontae Parker, before he exited, four targets, four receptions, 47 yards. You mentioned Preston Williams, seven targets, two receptions, 41 yards. Anything of Mike Kosicki? I mean, he's supposed to play that big slap role that everyone got excited about. Well, his day accumulation was five targets, three receptions, 30 yards. He had the role. Uh, He looked explosive. He looked like a big-time athlete, but it was just not the right matchup for him. He's going to be fine, uh, especially if Devontae Parker's out. I think we definitely need to spend a couple seconds on the Miami backfield. Yep. Uh, Miles Gaskin played over Matt Breida who you can drop in just about every single league. Uh, he didn't even play very much until like the second, third quarter. Uh, uh, Patrick Laird and Miles Gaskin subbed in ahead of Matt Breda and Jordan Howard was completely unaffected in, in, uh, until he got a goal line touchdown. But this is an offense that you just don't want to be spending any capital on at the, at the running back position. But if you have to, Miles Gaskin over Matt Breda. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it all summer that this was the cheapest backfield to invest in. I mean, there's probably a reason why. Definitely. Uh, but, but like, Matt Breed is a talented football player. And, uh, you know, we're not around practice. We don't make decisions. We're not with the team. I just do not understand playing Patrick Laird over him in certain situations. But I'll take your word for it that Matt Breed is just droppable. Now, I'm sure we'll talk about that with John Daigle on Tuesday. with the Daigle's going to be spending a lot of time on this waiver wire column based off how week one went. I think a lot of it's going to be based off of this Dolphins backfield. It's going to be a, one heck of a committee. Yes. All right. Your other game, Los Angeles Chargers go on the road to Cincinnati and win because of a last second missed field goal by Randy Bullock, I believe his name is. Anyways, 16 to 13, the Chargers are victorious. Let's just, you know, put aside the Chargers for a second because I, I really want to focus on the number one overall pick, Joe Burrow. In his debut, 23 of 36, 193 yards and interception. But he also had a 46 yard, 46 yards on the ground, including a 23 yard touchdown run. Uh, Hayden, I know all offseason you talked about Joe Burrow's rushing ability and how it wasn't credited enough in college game because sacks are taken away from that. How do you look today just overall? He looked like a rookie, but like a good rookie. You know, like he had his moments and, and- <laughs> In the fourth quarter, he had a, a completely inexcusable interception that he kind of just tossed when he was trying to make a play that wasn't really there. But then he came back and led a good drive that, that basically forced overtime until the kicker missed. Um, Joe Joe Burrow needs more time, and he needs more uh, from his from his offensive line. There was a ton of pressure with with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, as we expected. I think better days are coming, um, especially against better defenses. But the one thing is just he's going to be running. At, at worst case, he's going to have some rushing production. Eight carries, 46 yards. He had an awesome 23-yard uh, touchdown, I believe it was. 
Um, I, I think that's why he's a, a locked in quarterback too. And if they can get on the same page and, as the passing offense, he could be like a top 12, top 15 quarterback eventually. Joe Mixon, 19 carry, 69 yards. I'm looking for his receiving totals and it's just two targets, one reception, two yards. I mean, missed opportunity there. How'd Joe Mixon look? It was more of the same, which is really unfortunate. You get a four-year, $48 million contract, and you would expect that to turn into more receiving work, but that just was not the case. Uh, Giovanni Bernard played on a lot of passing downs. I don't have the exact data in front of me, but he was even in there on the fourth quarter drive, which was really, really worrisome if you spent a first-round pick on Joe Mix. And there will be better days. He's going to be the goal line back. The offensive, uh, just in general, will lead to more touchdowns for him compared to last year. But if he's going to be a top six, top seven, top eight fantasy back, he has to be there on in on third downs. Maybe that that role increases later, but uh, for right now, it's it's not great. He's probably more of a low end running back one than like a hmm. mid range one. Talk to me about the wide receiver trio: AJ Green, nine targets, five receptions, fifty one yards. Tyler Boyd, just five targets, four receptions, thirty three yards, and John Ross, five targets, two receptions, seventeen yards, and one touchdown that went through his fingertips yeah john ross there was a couple drops there joe burrow made some some just misses just playing out misses uh and including one to aj green that would have been a touchdown i think aj green is the best receiver for the Bengals for fantasy purposes the rest of the year even over tyler boyd they were kind of being drafted together uh this offseason but I think A.J. Green looked pretty good out there. It didn't really translate to fantasy production, but he had a 25% target share. Um, that's kind of right in line with projections. He looked fine, like just athletically. He had a he had a great first down in there as well. So I think that A.J. Green's probably going to live up to like wide receiver three billing. Uh, Tyler Boyd might be more of a flex play. We'll see um, how the Bengals Offense improves just with Joe Burrow, but the way things looked week one, I'm not sure if that was just a mixture of the Chargers defense or if that was just sloppy performance all the, all the way around. But for Tyler Boyd to be a top 35 uh, fantasy receiver, he needs the Bengals uh, passing game to improve. Yeah, and the Bengals get the Browns next week. and We know how much the Browns secondary is hobbled right now with injuries. All right, let's look at the Chargers. Tyra Taylor, 16 to 30, 208 yards, whatever. Let's talk about Austin Eckler. 19 carries, 84 yards, but the major part of Austin Eckler's game that we've loved in the past, it's not his rushing upside. I mean, this is among the highest totals he's ever seen in his rushing career. Instead, it's his receiving game, and that wasn't there today, Hayden. Just one catch for three yards. Yeah, both of those totals are his worst since week 17 of 2018. Um, He just wasn't involved, and this was the fear. He was already a negative regression candidate in yards after the catch just because he was so explosive, but like unsustainably explosive last season. You you take away Melvin Gordon, that's going to increase his um, rushing production, but his receiving production with Tyrod Taylor is a thing to keep an eye out on. Tyrod Taylor has just historically not been the guy to kind of check down. He's actually an aggressive deep deep, uh, downfield passer, and then he also likes to scramble. So I think that – it's a bad match for Austin Eckler. And I'm just kind of concerned that the Chargers offense is just going to be very stagnant this year. I mean, they put up 16 points up against the Bengals and the Bengals had some injuries as well. I was without Geno Atkins, DJ reader missed some time as well. So I would be kind of concerned with Austin Eckler as a top 10 uh, fantasy back. If you drafted him there, um, he definitely needs the goal line role. And that's something that Joshua Kelly subbed in for um, the other note, just 
Uh, Joshua Kelly is playing well ahead of Justin Jackson. You can drop Justin Jackson. I'd pick up Joshua Kelly. Um, he might have some standalone value. You might see eight to 12 carries as he did today and some goal line work. Um, but worst case, he's the insurance tackler right now. Kelly had 12 carries, 60 yards, and a score. Uh, the two big names at wide receiver, Mike Williams, nine targets, four receptions, 69 yards. Keen Allen, eight targets, four receptions, 37 yards. I mean, just overall, and just with how you're saying, Hayden, it kind of seems like this might – I'm not going to say this is obviously the ceiling for the Chargers offense, but maybe we should just get used to this with the Chargers offense. Like, was it just bad offensive line play? Was it bad quarterback play? Was it just a combination of everything, and this is just how they're going to roll this season? I mean, I know it's week one. I don't want to extrapolate too much, but that's what we have to work on now. Yeah, they were missing two uh, offensive linemen, and their just offensive line looks so bad right now. And Tyrod Taylor never looked fully comfortable – um, he also didn't rush as much. He only had six carries for seven yards. So that was kind of surprising to see. But yeah, I just worry that this is just kind of what we're going to get out of the Chargers. And you're going to need touchdowns to kind of make up for the lack of total yardage here. I think Tyrod Taylor had 208 passing yards. That falls directly in line with his career uh, production as a starter, uh, both, both, both up in Buffalo and in Cleveland. So Keenan Allen, I think you're going to get like wide receiver three production, not wide receiver two production. And Mike Williams, you're going to be hoping for um, some touchdowns and some some big plays. But I, I think the big thing was Mike Williams was actually healthy. There was a report that we were going on, going off of Roto World, where there was he was supposed to be missing like most of September. That just clearly didn't happen. He looked healthy. He had a couple big falls where he just popped right back up. So I think that Mike Williams as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five is, is within 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 the realm of possibilities, especially against the Chiefs next week. That reporter might wind up in the ban list. Maybe. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't his only mistake. I'll just do that. The Baltimore Ravens picked up where they left off last regular season, destroying, I mean demolishing the Cleveland Browns 38 to 6. Kyle Dvorak. Did I say that correctly? You did, yes. I remember Dusty Dvorak. Any relation? I don't think so. Do you know that name? No, I have no clue who that is. Dustin Dvorak, okay, this is a complete sidebar. This game was crap, so we can just go on the sidebar yeah, for a second. Um, Dustin Dvorak, I believe, was, I'm going to say Nebraska, but that's not correct. Something like that. But this super athletic defensive lineman that I think the Bears selected, and then he turned to be absolutely nothing. Anyways, that's how I know how to say your last name. Let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens, because they were fantastic. Lamar Jackson, 20-25, 275, and three touchdowns. How do you look? Super easy question, but I mean, he must look pretty good today. Oh God, that is the one saving grace of watching the Ravens destroy anyone is you get to see half of an awesome football game. And even like, you know, he was supposed to be like a touchdown regression candidate. And I still expect that to be the case, but I think he threw it like a 12% touchdown rate. This game hit Marquise Brown on a beautiful, like, oh, the guy has such an incredible touch on his deep ball that just like, it's it's a shocking that that went so underlooked when he was coming into the league. Marquise Brown on the deep one. I will say he threw kind of an errant one to Mark Andrews, and then Mark Andrews makes magic happen. I know if you saw it, it's this just incredible. Puts his mitts up there and brings it down with a nasty one-hand snag. I think it was the first score of the game. So it seems like no matter what, this team has so much talent everywhere that on the one of 25 plays where, you know, Lamar Jackson doesn't make it happen, someone just picks up the slack, man. Hmm. I know that a lot of people saw the jump in year one to year two for Lamar Jackson. Was there any jump that was noticeable in year two to year three now with Lamar Jackson, or was it kind of just turning strengths even stronger? Cause he added seven carries for 45 yards in this game as well. 
Yeah, it was interesting. He didn't have to run very much. And I don't know. It's hard to, I mean, it's hard. He literally had one of the greatest seasons of all time last year. But I will say, I mean, but that Marquise Brown throw would have been among his best throws of last year. So I don't know how often that's going to happen, but it was legitimately such an incredible throw. We saw some of that last year, but it just makes me think that like, Maybe maybe regression isn't regression isn't real for this guy, which is like that's kind of the step we thought would take back just reasonably so that it is so hard to throw touchdowns at such a high rate. Maybe just one his his incredible ability as a thrower, but two how defenses have to play him as a runner. Maybe like maybe he just doesn't regress, and maybe he is just the goat. Let's keep it going. There's a lot of layers on this team that we need to rifle through. You mentioned Marquise Brown, six targets, five receptions, 101 yards. We know last year he had a great week one, also played hurt a lot last season. We also know that he's healthy now, added about 15 pounds. You talked about that 47-yard reception. What about the rest? What was his usage like today? Yeah, the Ravens didn't have to throw much. They, they they threw 25 times, 26 actually. RG3 got in one throw there, so 26. So it's not like <laughs> like six six on 25 is good, especially for a guy who yeah. we can easily project to be so efficient because, one, he's incredibly athletic, incredibly fast. And I will say he didn't, like we only saw, saw six targets for him. He didn't seem to slow down at all based on adding that muscle. So that's something that would be super interesting when you see go forward that he is just bigger and stronger and just as fast so no he seemed just as fast if not faster than ever and got great usage he was getting good like middle and downfield throws thrown at him and he had a good enough market share given that they didn't have to throw very much so it was a great game for him too and somehow mark andrews continues just to get wide open in the red zone like greg roman what he does with mark andrews in the red zone is unbelievable six targets five receptions 58 yards and two scores do you want to bring up willie sneed's name because you know this passing offense they spread it around a lot but we know we've invested a lot in marquise brown we've invested a lot in mark andrews but willie sneed had four targets four receptions 64 yards and a score is do we think that's just an outlier like a single game or could this be something a, a role that is is there for the taking yeah, I mean, I think Snead scored five times last year, and that's not like you play on the field with Lamar Jackson, and you were you're going to luck into some scores. And I yeah. do think we could see him score five or six times again this year. He's a guy that when you get on the field with Lamar Jackson, he does it a lot too. He's a guy who actually saw him pick up a few downfield blocks, and that was like the one thing that like Willie Snead really did last year that made him stand out was he's a fine not a special receiver the dude's like a physical aggressive blocker and he goes downfield and he helps set up these longer runs can pick up a corner so he's going to stay on the field almost entirely for games because of that ability he can do he's a good receiver and he's a really good blocker so i actually think like maybe in dfs going forward you have to at least consider willie sneed as like a way to get different with your with your lamar jackson stacks because yes i i can predict he will score again at some point this season we got to talk about this backfield. Mark Ingram, 10 carries, 29 yards, nothing. The rookie, instead, J.K. Dobbins, 7 carries, 22 yards, and 2 scores. How does that look moving forward? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It's, it's so surprising to see them have such a talented veteran back who scored 15 times last year in Mark Ingram, and they were just like, nah, get J.K. Dobbins. Those goal line carries, both of his touchdowns were short ones he punched in, especially so when you know when you look at him averaging just over three yards a carry, it's because there's nowhere else for him to go. He gets into the end zone. So I'm not sure he gets the entirety of the goal line work, but it is interesting to see them just give him like, like we see rookies in, in normal seasons take so long to acclimate to the league and their coaches don't seem to trust them very much. They gave him the high leverage touches. So for me, I'm interested in, in him as a goal line back, but I still think maybe he's the the 1B and it doesn't seem like he'll get a ton of targets. And we see we see running backs generally with their rushing quarterbacks struggle to get as many targets. There's just the, the correlation of quarterbacks instead of throwing these little dump offs tend to run it themselves. So it seems like he's probably still a low floor play as the 1B running back. 
but I mean the you know the touchdown back on a on a Ravens offense that has a lot of upside as we saw today. Now the bad news: Cleveland Browns mm-hmm. again six points. All six came in the first quarter. Baker Mayfield, twenty-one of thirty-nine. I mean, thirty-nine attempts to reach one hundred and eighty-nine yards. One score, one interception. How did this fall apart, Kyle? It fell apart in so many ways. So I thought his line was not great, but it wasn't the my my problem with it is that wasn't the problem. He missed tight window throws from a clean pocket, and when his line, even like when one defender kind of just got a hand around him, he looked terrified. And I was thinking about how I wanted to describe this heading into our chat, and I yeah. thought it kind of looked like Johnny Manziel. That was the comp I came up with. And I don't, I, I actually like Baker Mayfield. I know some people at Roto World don't like him as much as I do, but that's kind of what I thought of when you see a guy just get so skittish when the pocket doesn't break down. There's just a bit of pressure on him. So uh, yeah, it didn't look good in a number of ways. Is it to the point where we have to see him show good before we can believe in him right now? Do you know what I mean? Because I know that the Browns, everything went wrong, Right. And and I'm, you mentioned the blocking, and I'm sure we'll hear blocking from people who watch this game and supporters and all that kind of stuff. But even the segments that I was able to catch, and I'll watch more this week, when everything else went correct, he just missed open throws. And yeah. it, it's on him. And in those scenarios, at least you can – on other bad teams, you can point to saying, okay, the quarterback does things correctly when everything goes right around him. That wasn't the case. I mean – I don't want to give up on the guy. I'm certainly not. And it's week one of a new season and we know how much can change heading into week two, but at some point you've got to see consistency. And like, that's what comes to fancy was supposed to bring to this offense. Yeah, no, that's the problem is I'm getting to is I love him, but we've seen last year now this year, or at least, you know, one game this year, but it was, man, like you said, what we could sometimes for quarterbacks we like point to is that when things go right, they do things well. He just missed like tight window throws or just kind of overthrew guys. It wasn't, it wasn't good even when things went well. So I'm still a believer. I think it just depends on the on the frame of view you come into it. I come into it seeing he had an incredible rookie season, the most passing touchdowns, and two college seasons that were among the best in college football history. So I still have a strong enough prior. But if you didn't like him, you can point to this game and, hmm. and say, see, this is exactly what I told you. He he just doesn't he didn't look like an NFL caliber quarterback today. So I'm going to hang on to my prior of loving him, but I would not blame anyone else for saying no. This is now he has to prove it as opposed to our prior was strong on him. So I wouldn't blame you for saying that. I still like him, but it was not good. I like that. All right. Since we're talking about Baker, we need to talk about the receivers. Jarvis Landry was the leading receiver with 61 yards on six targets, five receptions. David Njoku was the one who caught the touchdown pass on three targets, 50 yards. Odell Beckham. 10 targets, three receptions, 22 yards. Again, it's like the same. You could just take take this box score and just move it to 2019 and no one would have noticed. Like we thought Odell was going to get the Stefan Diggs treatment in this Kevin Stefanski offense. And Kyle, it didn't happen. It did not happen. Yeah, Baker, Baker couldn't find him deep. I will say to Odell's credit, because another guy that I think – my prior, although getting weaker, is that he is incredible. He yeah. did draw, I believe, three penalties, and at least three. All of them came on the same drive, too. There's two DPIs on Marlon Humphrey and one more, I think, holding on on uh, Tavon Young, maybe. So, he, like, he goes three of ten, but three of those would, you know, in terms of real-life value, count as successes. So maybe you, that's the positive spin you put on it. But yeah, he he looked frustrated on the sideline at times, which is the, you know, the staple of that's you drop that into 2019. That is the Brown staple is performing poorly and then getting angry about it visibly to everyone. So, yeah, he doesn't look to have a connection very much with Baker. 
and Baker wasn't hitting him deep. He wasn't hitting him tight window. It's really just like if they can manufacture some some short stuff for him, it works out. If they can't, it doesn't. And that's why Jarvis Landry played at least, I don't want to say well, but that's why he led the team in all receiving categories is that's basically what Baker was limited to is just whatever Jarvis Landry could manufacture from the slot. So yeah, another way that I just, another way I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Let's close with the backfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb shared 23 carries. Cream Hunt at 13 of them, Nick Chubb, 10 of them, both good yardage totals. I mean, 72 for Cream Hunt, 60 for Nick Chubb. As we stated already, this was awful game script. So how much can we really take from this usage and split here? You know, you, you've kind of pointed to what I thought exactly is that although we do see Kareem Hunt lead the team in carries, it is so much a product of, or I, I would believe at least a product of the game script. I still think, you know, we saw Nick Chubb open up the game with a nice 11-yard run, got another carry, and I think he even had his only catch of the game in these first like three or four plays. He seemed to be the guy to get the bulk of the load early in this or early in the game. But then once you get behind by so much, you know, Kareem Hunt and his awesome pass catching upside you kind of have to put him on the field. I will note they also lined up Nick Chubb out wide like once or twice, and he ran routes on those plays, which is kind of the opposite of what you would expect, but it didn't turn into any targets or anything. He just saw the one target at the beginning. So I still think we can stick to the fact that it was almost certainly Nick Chubb on early downs. But even then, I do think this points to a bit more of almost a 50-50 rushing split. Nick Chubb in the, in the like first, second round now seems like almost insane, given that he has, I would say, almost no receiving upside. And there's very much a downside that one, this offense is terrible. That that almost seems like the projection at this point. And there's obviously the downside that I actually think it could just be like a a 60, 40 split between them because we did see, you know, you said it was 13 to 10, but that means in bad game script, cream hunt is the leading back. That shouldn't be the case still. So I am not looking forward to starting Nick Chubb, like in the coming weeks, the Arizona Cardinals go into the San Francisco vicinity area and beat the 49ers 24 to 20 on the road. I mean, we all love Kyler Murray, John Daigle. We all were excited to see how DeAndre Hopkins fit in a Cliff Kingsbury offense. But I'm not so sure anyone, anyone expected DeAndre Hopkins to see 16 targets, 14 receptions, and 151 yards today. Not just 16 targets, but a 40% target share in a season in which we thought his target volume would go down. Perhaps it still does, of course. It's only one game. But for it only to increase all of a sudden with Larry Fitzgerald, who got five targets, and Christian Kirk, who got another five targets on the field as well, uh, it was a hell of a day, let's say, for DeAndre Hopkins. What was the usage like? Because last year with the Texans, we saw less vertical passes. We saw, you know, the same average depth of target as Randall Cobb. It probably just looking at the stats appeared to be the same because, again, he only averaged about 11 yards per reception here. But uh, was there was there any deep shot that they missed on? Like, was the connection kind of in those intermediate areas? It was much like last year, how he was used Mm -hmm. as boundary Julian Edelman and just soaked up those catches and targets because his hands are that good. It was a lot like that today. The thing is, he actually left meat on the bone because it was a 34-yard touchdown initially that would have been the game winner to put the Niners in position to drive the field to try and win the game. But what happened is he fell short. His knee was on the ground. And thus, he got called down at the one instead, and it was Kenyon Drake who got that rushing score to put the Cardinals up. So the day could have been even better. Let's go to Kyler Murray. 26 of 40, 230 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Doesn't seem like an overly great day passing the football, but I remember – Thinking back to earlier last season, we all know Kyler is a fantastic athlete, 
And it seemed like early in his rookie season, he didn't really want to run the football. Well, today was his best running game of his career. 13 carries, 91 yards, and a touchdown, including this amazing, amazing 25-yard score. Fantasy players will actually hate to hear that it was 11 catches for 103 yards until he took two kneels uh, to end the game. So it excluded the bonus. He was actually over 100 yards, and then he went back down to 91. But nonetheless, as you said, a beautiful, slippery 22-yard touchdown. Uh, just go ahead and inciting the Cardinals' offense. Like We did have questions about transitioning a new player or perhaps what Cliff Kingsbury would do. And beyond... Kyler Murray. They did involve Chase Edmonds more. Um, 11 opportunities, targets and carries behind Kenyon Drake, who got 18 opportunities. Yes, Kenyon Drake still out carried Edmonds 16 to 6, but part of the new wrinkle was getting Edmonds involved more altogether. And although it was still somewhat of a horizontal offense, uh, taking shots downfield at times to Christian Kirk in particular. The fact is Kyler Murray, like the up-tempo engineering of this offense and his legs are clearly here to stay in 2020. Hmm. All right, let's talk about the 49ers. This was a team without Debo Samuel. This was a team without Brandon Ayuk. Uh, it was a team that had George Kittle miss some portion of the game because he went up for a screen pass and Jimmy Garoppolo left him for dead and came down with a, a knee that seemed like it got hyperextended, but could have went back in and finished with just 44 yards and four catches. Um, talk to me about Jimmy Garoppolo's day, 19 of 33, 259 and two scores. Well, I know you being Garoppolo's biggest fan were also watching this game. <laughs> and I think we will both agree, and I included in the burb in the blurb, it was an atrocious day. Like in the box score, you'll see 260 yards and two touchdowns, no picks, but just the number of sailed grenades and 50-50 shot to like five eight Trent Taylor and just over and overthrows in general in the back of the end zone. Raheem Mostert should have had two receiving TDs instead of one. Uh, George Kittle arguably had a touchdown that was overthrown in the seams, and it was actually an overthrow that led to his first half knee injury. Supposedly he'll be fine. We'll have to wait and see on Monday's injury report, but he was held catchless George Kittle in the second half because he injured that knee in the first half. So it was just an awful, awful day for Garoppolo. Uh, having said that, we've talked about it on this podcast several times. We know the Niners schedule the first six weeks, and he's still going to be a matchup-based starter next week against the Jets. I mean, it speaks to Kyle Shanahan that from mm -hmm. an eye test, Jimmy Garoppolo can have a bad day because it seemed like he was a slow processor, had multiple attempts to you know, score – the winning touchdown to Kendrick Bourne and just missed him late and just with a, a lack of arm strength. Yet he still goes out there, doesn't throw an interception, has two touchdowns and nearly 260 yards. I mean, again, that speaks to Kyle Shanahan. And what also speaks to Kyle Shanahan is Raheem Mostert's day. One, Raheem Mostert's a great player, but 15 carries, 56 yards. And really the cream of the cake was 76-yard reception that went for a score to go along with – four receptions in total in 95 yards here for Raheem Mostert. Hayden might have been right all along. 19 of 30 backfield touchers for Mostert. And 
at first in the first quarter, I was thinking, oh, Tevin Coleman hasn't seen the field. So this makes sense. He, he's not playing due to the air quality. Thus, Mostert is soaking up all his touches. But then Tevin Coleman eventually works in and ends with five touches, which tells me that that's his role. Because if the guy is worried about air quality, you don't just play him for a few for slider reps, right? You just take him off the field altogether. So this tells me that this is what this backfield will be moving forward, which yep. actually, which again, we know they're open schedule makes most of the low end RB one. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of this wide receiver group again. It's no Debo. It's no Brandon Ayuk. Basically, no one on here is rosterable, startable until either of those players get back. Is that fair? That's, that's why you can't think of any of them. Yep. And I will say, although Garoppolo was poor, don't get me wrong, maybe it was just because of the wide receiver core. Maybe it was just because he had to depend on Kendrick Bourne and Dante Pettis, who worked as the number two receiver with Trent Taylor as the number three. I doubt yep. it because it was really bad, but that could have been the case. And we know Kyle always focuses on like one defensive player to take advantage of. He did that with rookie Isaiah Simmons. And I think he limited Isaiah Simmons to basically only 18 snaps in his debut because I believe he was the one covering Mostert on his long touchdown. And then they're just like, hey, you're a liability. Can't you have on can't have you on the field right now? All right. Other game you had upset special. Jacksonville Jaguars at home beating the Indianapolis Colts 27 to 20. Maybe John Daigle's team of 2020, the Jacksonville Jaguars. How'd they do it? I mean, with Gardner Minshew going freaking 19 of 20, 173 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, don't tell him that they're not trying to win games in 2020, Daigle. The problem is the 173 yards because we do judge him because he should be more gunslingerish like Tony Romo was, but he just doesn't take shots deep. And again, he didn't do that. The difference is they have playmakers in the shallows now, like your LaVisca Schnall, like Keelan Cole, who came out of nowhere and started over Chris Conley as the number one wideout, and like DJ Shark. So it was more about... Minshew extending plays a lot, actually, because they're, the Colts did get a lot of pressure on him. But again, I mean, he can use the legs. He ran the ball five times. And again, and before he got benched for Nick Foles, he averaged five and a half carries per game anyhow. So that's right on par. And he was just accurate. Shallow dump offs. He was super accurate. Uh, the Jaguars are a lot of fun, Josh. Talk to me about DJ Chark. Only three targets, three receptions, 25 yards. Did save his day with the touchdown. But also talk to me about LaVishka Chenault. The rookie had four targets, three receptions, 37 yards, and a score as well. More importantly, two carries for LaVishka Chenault because they did carry over that wildcat red zone usage that they discussed using in camp. So it seems like Chenault's touches will be manufactured even more down the stretch, which is, which is good. That gives him a high weekly floor. Uh, for Shark, I chalk it up to one game. Jay Gruden's offense was quite exciting it's it's so much more fun than what we watched last year like dj shark i wouldn't even say his route in the corner of the end zone was a product of his route running it was just being schemed open and it was a fun play so when you go back and watch it you'll see that but overall this is still in my opinion sharks wide receiver core uh mm -hmm. with chenault mixing in as a young exciting high floor player Finally, James Robinson saw all of the backfield work, mm -hmm. like 100% of the running back carries, 16 carries for 62 yards, also had one single target, one single catch for 28 yards. 
And that was it. 16 carries, which is 100% of the backfield carries. And we did not expect them to be at that game script. So can we predict this moving forward? No. But then again, if you are going to be basically the only back used, if you're competitive whatsoever, you have value. I, I probably was wrong on that. So he will be mentioned in the waiver wire. Although, again, I'm still slightly concerned that maybe this game script was just a blip on the radar and an anomaly. How'd this happen to the Colts? I mean, they were up 17-14 at halftime, lose again 27-20. I remember watching this game early on. I mean, Phillip Rivers' stat line, 36-46, 363, one touchdown, two interceptions. Naeem Hines had two touchdowns. Paris Campbell got it going as a leading receiver of 71 yards. How did they malfunction? It's funny because the Colts' offense, Phillip Rivers just carried over his errors from the chargers and made two absolutely boneheaded interceptions. And there should have been a third, but he got called back for a holding penalty, but they were atrocious and they kept the Jaguars in throughout the entire game. Having said that, this is an offense I actually want to buy into because the playmakers he's getting the ball to even showed they're all healthy, minus Marlon Mack, who we'll talk about in a second, and explosive. Like they averaged 6.6 yards per play. They ran 68 plays. They didn't punt the ball once in this entire game. Wow. Uh, Philip Rivers, yes, inaccurate, but still took several deep shots. And when those shots are going to a healthy Paris Campbell, who looked as explosive as ever now that he's healthy again, and to T.Y. Hilton, who's healthy also uh it's actually is a really electric offense i think you want pieces of let's talk about that backfield uh i mentioned naeem hines played the austin eckler role it seemed like correct me if i'm wrong but 28 yards and a score on the ground also had 45 yards and a score in the air to go along with eight receptions marlon mack was getting the early work four carries 26 yards a long run of 18 then seems to have a significant achilles injury and so hey all of us in the Slack chat were saying, well, this is, you know, Jonathan Taylor's time, his time in the backfield. Well, nine carries, 22 yards. So on the ground, it wasn't there, Daigle. But the Wisconsin back did have a significant development in the air, six receptions for 67 yards. Funny enough, it was Naheem Hines and Marlon Mack to open the game. Jonathan Taylor was strictly on the bench, not getting touches whatsoever. And then Mack goes down, and then Jonathan Taylor enters the game. But even on that first drive, Naheem Hines was put in in red zone territory and scored. On the next drive, Naheem Hines was put in in red zone territory as well. And then when Jonathan Taylor was in the game, Jonathan Taylor did record a carry on the two-yard line, but then Naheem Hines came in for a passing down, and he scored the touchdown in that possession. So Naheem Hines is here to stay. He was working as the number two behind Mack. Instead, Taylor takes Mack's position. And of course, we want to buy Taylor, although you probably can't buy low anymore. Like every yeah. the, the surprise is out now. But the fact is, in the second half alone with Mack out, Taylor played 21 snaps. Naheem Hines played 20. At the end of the game, their touches were equal 15 to 15. So Naheem Hines, in my opinion, is definitely here to stay. And that's something I never thought to say after week one. Two questions. I'll ask this first one. How did Jonathan Taylor just look? You know, what's the eye test? Did he look explosive? Did he look like a real player? It was odd. Uh, the Colts offensive line wasn't moving the needle too much today. And I think it may have been due to the midweek injuries. Remember, they had three questionable on Thursday. They were all removed from the injury report on Friday, but it still seemed like they were struggling to move players around. Uh, having said that, the one big knock we were worried about was, were his hands, since they were 
poor to league average at best coming out of Wisconsin. And he caught all six of his targets. And he averaged 11.1 yards per catch because when he catches the ball, we know what he can do with it afterwards. And so now in this Marlon Mack role, that's how he also provides value once the Colts offensive line is clicking at all cylinders. So it's a player who you may have drafted in the third round. And at the time you were buying into his upside without knowing his actual role, but like he could now pay off legitimately, uh, early second round, late first round value in Marlon Max role. Final question. Paris Campbell, nine targets, six receptions, 71 yards. Gets the Minnesota Vikings next week, a Vikings secondary that was just shredded by a very good Aaron Rodgers. Confidence level in making Paris Campbell a flex play, a wide receiver three play next week because he was so involved this week. Immediately. Uh, it was immediate rapport the moment they took the field together. It was basically Keenan Allen. If Keenan Allen cut off his routes like four yards shorter, as opposed to usually running up the seam like he typically does. Uh, no, Paris Campbell is fully healthy. And as long as he stays that way, he is definitely here to stay as a high floor flex play in this offense. The Washington football team, I guess in their inaugural game, uh, yeah. they went at home beating the Philadelphia Eagles 27-17. to one of the surprises of the weekend. Now we bring on for his debut on, yes, this recap show, Denny Carter. Denny, early on in this game, Philly up to nothing, 17-7 at halftime. Mm-hmm. What happened? Was this just a collapse from the Eagles? You know, they came into the game without Lane Johnson. They had some other uh, offensive line injuries uh, during the game, and they, it just got to a point where they could not protect Carson Wentz. They, they, had, he had no time to operate in the pocket. Uh, you know, Wentz obviously tries to keep the play alive, tries to scramble, tries to be Superman, and that didn't help. And that, you know, he lost a lot of yards, took a lot of unnecessary sacks. Uh, you know, trying trying to be Superman. He he took eight sacks in total, and he was hit basically every time he dropped back in the second half. The the Washington defensive line just overwhelmed the, uh, you know, injury riddled uh, mm-hmm. Eagles offensive line. And so, you know, he didn't have time. Wentz didn't have time to drop back and, and go downfield to Rager and to Jackson like he was early in the game. Mm-hmm. And from that point, the, the offense just kind of folded. Yeah. Eight sacks for 62 yards. Wentz finished 24 of 42, 270 two touchdowns, two interceptions. I mean, I think we all, because it was such a weird offseason, tried to predict on what we knew with these teams and what could be weaknesses and what could be strengths with you know the offseason injuries that you mentioned along the offensive line and this late Lane Johnson news, along with the strength of the Washington defensive line. We thought that this could happen, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I went as far as to thinking, Denny, that it could be Washington winning by 10 points because yeah. you still have good playmakers out there. I mean – Talk about the usage of Jalen Rager and Deshaun Jackson. Rager had only four targets, one catch, 55 yards. Deshaun Jackson, seven targets, two catches, 46 yards. That's just not good enough. And, you know, Jackson spent a lot of time on the sideline in the first half, which was curious. A lot of beat writers were, you know, mentioning that every few minutes. You know, Jackson's still on the sideline. He's still on the sideline. And and it turns out, you know, there was no injury report uh, after the game. Uh, Deshaun Jackson said he's fine. So there's nothing there for the long term. Uh, but, you know, he did spend a lot of time there on the sideline. Um, yeah, Rager was was not used much. Uh, it'll be interesting to see his snap uh, data, uh, which we'll be looking at soon. 
Um, but, you know, mostly uh, it was just Wentz carving up the Washington secondary with, um, uh, with Zach Ertz and Dallas mm. Goddard. You know, um, especially Goddard was just, just humiliating the uh, Washington linebackers and safeties uh, early in the game. Uh, they got away from that in, in the second half. Uh, and, you know, it, di- uh, it didn't help, like I said earlier, that Wentz just had no time to operate. Dallas Goddard, nine targets, eight catches, 101 yards, and a score. Zach Ertz, seven targets, just three catches, 18 yards, kind of saved himself mm-hmm. with a touchdown. I mean, right before the game, I believe Rap Sheet came out and reported that he and Howie Roseman had some discussion, yeah. a animated discussion about a potential contract extension. Did Dallas Goddard just outplay? I mean, I know last year both played extremely well. Both were the top two target getters on the Eagles, but is this a case where we could say not to extrapolate too much here to do? So maybe right. put in my place. Is there a case that we could see that Dallas Goddard being a more productive tight end than Zach Ertz for the season? Or was this kind of just obviously a one game sample? Well, you know, it, it will be interesting because, you know, looking at the, the stats for the game, you know, Goddard got the, you know, got more targets, you know, and, and we're not used to seeing that, you know, we're used to seeing Ertz just, peppered with with targets opportunity has never been an issue for Zach Ertz uh in Philadelphia so if if that continues another week or two I think that mm-hmm. it is kind of time to be on the be on watch for you know I, I, changing of the guard watch I don't know you know I'm, I don't, I'm trying to be too too dramatic but uh you know Goddard is a, a, extremely productive when he gets the ball um the question has always been how much will he get the ball because Ertz is there uh, so you know, I don't know if it has something to do with the the contract thing, but uh, it is it is uh, I think it could be a little bit concerning for people who rostered Zach Ertz. One more on the Eagles. Boston Scott was expected to see a massive workload in this <laughs> game with Miles Sanders out. Uh, Boston Scott then got nine carries for thirty five yards. Corey Clement just six carries for nineteen yards. I mean, as a team, this Eagles unit had seventeen carries for fifty seven yards. What happened? Uh, they just weren't in a position to run it at some point, you know, that when they, when they got down and, and had to drop back and chase points against Washington, uh, the, the run game was pretty much shut down from that point on. But I also think that, you know, the, those offensive line injuries also impacted, uh, you know, Boston Scott and, uh, Corey Clement, uh, you know, Scott had a couple big runs. He had one, he had one run of about 10 or 12 yards called back on a penalty, but, uh, you know, it, the opportunity just wasn't going to be there once they got down, once you know Washington had the lead, and, and we saw the result. Also, Boston Scott went to the locker room mm. uh, in, in the second half. Well, I guess I need to spend some time on Washington since they won. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, though, I mean, not the most incredible stat line. 17 completions on 31 attempts, 178 yards, one touchdown, took three sacks. Mm-hmm. Then I look at Terry McLaurin, you know, just seven targets, five receptions, 61 yards. This is kind of our first our first exposure to Scott Turner being the offensive coordinator here. I know you've watched a lot of the Panthers in the past. What what did you think overall of the game plan here with what Haskins did? Was he set up for success? Did he not just execute? Or was it kind of not a lucky win, but just something that they kind of struggled to in their first game in live action? Haskins had some poor throws. Uh, you know, there there were a couple in the red zone that were really bad and didn't didn't need to be. I mean, he didn't miss wide open guys. I'm thinking particularly of Logan Thomas at near the goal line, one-on-one coverage with a guy who he had at least six inches on 
and uh, you know Haskins sails it over his head by ten yards or more. Uh, you know, so Haskins played pretty pretty poorly. I, I think the the lesson here might be, you know, the the Washington offense is going to be pretty conservative uh, mm. if and when it gets the lead. You know, where you know it's it's not going to be good for Terry McLaurin. I don't think uh, when they they can sit on a lead when they can mm. bleed the clock and run the ball. I think that that will be an issue, you know, for these Washington players that we drafted in August. Well, speaking of bleeding the clock, uh, Peyton Barber got 17 carries in this game yeah. uh, for 29 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, a long carry of eight yards. Meanwhile, Antonio Gibson did so much more with his touches, nine carries, 36 yards, a long run of 20, two catches on two targets um, for eight total yards. Talk us through this backfield is, is this a case where you can even start Antonio Gibson comfortably as a flex play moving forward? You know, it, today could be a, a matter of the coaching staff putting the ball in the veterans' hands late in the game. You know, a lot of those Peyton Barber carries came in the second half once Washington was, you know, within a few points and then eventually uh, took the lead. It felt it felt almost like Washington was just kneeling down, you know, like in the last few minutes of the game. Uh, with just giving Peyton Barber the ball straight up the middle, with you know into eight man fronts. So it, uh, I, I don't know if I would read too much into that. Antonio Gibson had a, a couple of runs that that flashed. I think hmm. what he can do uh, in that offense. And there was one. If you look back at the the one where he he broke it off to the left side, and he is one on one with a blocker in front of him, and he he could go seventy yards for a touchdown, and he trips oh, no. over trips over his own guy's feet Oh no! and goes and goes straight into the turf. So that was a huge missed opportunity. I mean, I stood up when, when he broke into the open field, I, I said, Oh, this is it. This is the 70 yard touchdown. That the we're, zero we're running we're back playing. savior is here. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You, you know me. And, uh, and, uh, and it was a, a, a huge missed opportunity. Uh, so I think that he, he flashed, you know, he got 11 touches, which is, which is right in the ballpark, I think, of what we were thinking, you know, somewhere t- 10 to 15 touches. I think that that's what we can project him for going forward. So in a, in a 12-team league, he's a borderline flex, I'd say. Hmm. And in a game when potentially they have more negative game script, I mean, I highly doubt Peyton Barber sees 17 touches right. in those games, right? And so maybe we see him hover, Antonio Gibson, hover around 15 touches in those contests. And quickly, with Logan Thomas, eight targets, four catches, 37 yards, and a score. Mm-hmm. I mean, I watched the Panthers game. Ian Thomas is absolutely droppable, and I would advocate for someone possibly going out and getting Logan Thompson. Said he seemed very involved. Yes, Logan Thomas is a starter in a in twelve team leagues for sure. You know, ten team, I'm not sure, but uh, he's he's the number two pass catcher. He was uh, targeted more than anybody except for McLaurin, and just by a little bit. Uh, and also, the Eagles are not a particularly great tight end matchup. You know, it's not like he took advantage of this of this fantastic matchup that we won't see again. Uh, so I think, yeah, I mean, if it, when Washington is forced into more pass-heavy negative game scripts this season, and we might see that next week, I believe they play Arizona, uh, then uh, I could be wrong on that, but I think I'm right. Uh, anyway, the, the uh, you know, Logan Thomas could see, could see a bunch of targets and, and really be an opportunity hog going forward. They do play Arizona next. Yeah, you are correct about that, Denny they, Carter. And they're great. Yes, and Arizona, as you know, is a great tight end, you know, matchup. And, and Logan Thomas ran 
a bunch of routes. He was on the field uh, throughout the game, you know, and he's the only tight end. I mean, the t- the coaches said it. He's he is our tight end mm-hmm. uh, uh, going forward. The other game you had New Orleans Saints winning at home 34 to 23 over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Two old men playing quarterback here. <laughs> uh, let's go first to the Saints. I mean, this is kind of a narrow skill set offense, and we've talked about it for years. Drew Brees, 18 of 30, 160 yards, two touchdowns. Didn't seem like he had to do a whole lot in terms of throwing the football. Um, but Jared Cook, the leading getter, I mean, yes. seven targets, five receptions, 80 yards. I mean, Alvin Kamara got his with, you know, in the running game. And in the receiving game, but Jared Cook as the standout pass catcher, way, way, way above Michael Thomas. Any concern here? Uh, concern for Thomas? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that there there should be a, a little bit of concern. I mean, if this is the way that the Saints are going to operate uh, with, you know, keeping it underneath, lots of conservative throws. I mean, that's that's what Thomas excels at anyway. Uh, but you know, we're used to seeing a certain amount of volume from to you know to Michael Thomas, and and that. That did not happen. Say he also got rolled up on in the fourth quarter, I believe, pretty badly, and and uh, got his foot out just in time before, you know, it could have been a, a pretty serious ankle injury. He went to the sideline. Uh, I'm not saying that that's going to keep him out, but it's it's just another sort of concern that people who roster Thomas hmm. might have. You know, things obviously will turn around when the Saints have to push the pace and and score more points. Uh, right. They were in a very comfortable spot today and and they and they operated like that yeah yeah that positive game script because their defense played so well seemingly let them not have to throw the football as much but i mean for a guy who set the yardage record last year just 17 yards in his debut this season with michael thomas is not what people wanted taking him in the first round um latavius murray got 15 carries 48 yards i mentioned alvin Kamara; he had 67 total yards and two touchdowns Did the latavius volume come from just that super positive game script that we're referring to right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, once, once they had a two touchdown lead, uh, it was just, you know, you know, Murray off the, off of right tackle, Murray off left tackle. And, and that was kind of the, the game plan. Uh, Kamara saw some, some carries Kamara sees almost everything inside the red zone. You know, he's, hmm. he's an ex- excellent inside the 10 uh, Kamara, his stat line looks fine because he got the two touchdowns and he got a third one called back. It could have been an amazing day for him. Uh, but you know, didn't didn't do a whole lot outside of a long reception in the second half mm-hmm. against Tampa. I, I think that the you, you know you mentioned Murray. I think that the Murray carries are are noteworthy. Uh, you know, I, I think it's just something maybe to put in your pocket and say, okay, like when the Saints are going to operate with a ton of positive script, uh, you know, I might want to play Murray, and mm-hmm. you know, and vice versa. You know, I might I might be a little bit hesitant on Kamara. Although, if you took Kamara in the first round, obviously you're you're playing him no matter what. No, but it, it, I think it's a great point. I'm. I mean, he la- he averaged about 11 touches last season, and you know they just paid out from Kamara, and so maybe they want to keep him fresh in these contests that they're just right. winning by a lot. And so having Latavius in there makes sense. Do you want to ask one more question? Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed like the Saints brought in Emmanuel Sanders to finally have a second wide receiver option. I see his line though, just five targets, three receptions, 15 yards and a score, not really starting caliber yeah. in games with this kind of game script. It seems like. Yeah. I, I think that the whole saints passing game was just so deflated. I don't know. You know, it, it, they just didn't push it, you know, yeah. it, uh, a break, it, I think breeze through one downfield pass, the, the whole game, one pass over 20 yards. 
the rest were just everything underneath underneath and and even you know sanders touchdown was it was a short one near the goal line uh so I, I don't know if we can make you know huge prognostications based on how they operated today um but it was a <laughs> it was not an impressive kind hmm. of uh uh passing offense that that were that we're used to seeing you know and i know jared cook got his um but i i do have a little bit of, of concern with um, that Saints offense may be getting a little conservative in Drew Brees' old age. Let's talk about the Buccaneers. There's a lot to talk about here. Tom Brady, 23 of 36, 239 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, including a pick six, took three sacks. Um, I mean, I was just watching off and on, Denny, but it seemed like the thing that worked best for Tom Brady today was like downfield throws. I mean, he had a long completion to Scotty Miller, a long completion to Chris Godwin. And kind of the rest, it seemed like he just wasn't on the same page with Mike Evans and a few others. Yes. Uh, you know, he had a, a long pass interference to Mike Evans uh, early in the game. And that would have been a huge gain. Um, he also had a, a pass down the sideline uh, that was just a high arcing pass, al- almost like a, um, a wheel route to a, a running back down the sideline. And uh, Scotty Miller dropped it. I mean, it was a beautiful pass, and and he dropped. It would have been a 30, 40 yard gain. So yeah, his his deep ball was was on point. Uh, everything else was kind of so so. Uh, I saw you know Bruce Arians was fairly critical of Brady after the game, saying that uh, his pick six uh, was a was a bad decision, which is something that I don't know if Brady's used to, but that's because that's another topic. Um, and, uh, his first pick was a miscommunication with Mike Evans. So, and, and, and Arians made the point of saying it was Brady's miscommunication. Evans did the right thing. Uh, so I, I, you know, I don't know if that's going to affect fantasy, uh, wise, uh, if that's going to affect Brady fantasy wise, but it, it could, uh, it could be an issue going forward. The coach saying these, these very harsh things about his quarterback. Well, Brady did have a rushing touchdown, too, near the goal line. He's had a number of those throughout his career. Do you want to go over to the wide receivers quickly? Uh, Chris Godwin, seven targets, six receptions, 79 yards. That's fine. Uh, Not fine was Mike Evans. I mean, I know many of you didn't start him or play him because of the news this week. It seemed seemed like he was 50% entering the game, but four targets, just one catch, two yards, Mm -hmm. and a score. And at least stats-wise, Scotty Miller popped off. I mean, six targets, five receptions. 73 yards, introduced the world to Scotty Miller, didn't he? Yes, I, I think there's something there. You know, I, 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 I w- by the way, I wouldn't be too worried about Mike Evans. I, I think once he's back from that hamstring injury, those things can linger, I understand. But if he, if he does get back in the next couple of weeks to full health, uh, it's clear that Brady likes to target him downfield and wants to do that. Uh, you know, I, I think that Evans will continue to be sort of a, a peak peaks and valley sort of fantasy producer, but that's what we've always gotten from him, you know, when, when we draft him in fantasy. So, but yes, I think, uh, I think Scotty Miller is a thing hmm. and, um, you know, in, in, in leagues where you can start up to four, maybe five receivers, I think you, people should be very interested in grabbing Scotty Miller uh, off the waiver wire this week as a source of, of cheap PPR production. What was Rob Gronkowski's role? He played a lot of snaps uh, into the fourth quarter. I saw that he had played over 80% of the uh, Tampa snaps at OJ Howard ended up with the, the touchdown 
the first touchdown that Brady threw, uh, and, which you know is is not surprising because OJ Howard is actually really good, and, mm-hmm. and you know just has uh, always excelled when given the chance. So you know Gronk Gronk was out there a lot. Uh, he was not targeted heavily. Um, he was covered, you know, constantly double teamed off the line. I, I feel like he maybe was a little bit shell shocked with uh, being back to uh, NFL action, and uh, it might be. I think it might take a while for him to, you know, kind kind of become adjusted to that. But Brady, uh, Brady definitely had his eye on Gronk throughout the game. Like it, he wanted to get it to him, uh, and he just couldn't, you know, he couldn't because of the covers that, that was on him. I think teams are still, still paying him a lot of respect. Want to close with the running backs. I mean, it's been a discussion for months. It seems like Ronald Jones owned the backfield, 17 carries, 66 yards, a long run of 21 yards. He also had two receptions and three targets, 16 yards. Meanwhile, Leonard Fournette, a very Leonard Fournette stat line of five carries for five yards. Uh, He had one catch for 14 yards. It certainly seems like moving forward, this is Ronald Jones' backfield until he loses it. That's right. That's right. It does. It does seem that way. You know, Bruce Arians is not totally honest about running backs and their role, uh, <laughs> as, as as fantasy players know, too all too well. But it's, it does seem that uh, Jones is going to get first dibs at um, taking this three down, possibly three down role for for Tampa. There, there was a play early in the game where. Uh, Ronald Jones was in the open field with two blockers in front of him and the throw was low and he had to get down on the ground to, to catch it. And so he rolled around, got up, only gained like six, seven yards. If, if he could have been hit in stride, uh, I think that could have been a long touchdown or something close to it. So, um, you know, if, if he can get that pass game involvement uh, in, as well as that early down involvement, uh, I think that people who stuck with him. You know, even though it kind of made you nauseous after Leonard Fournette went to Tampa, people who stuck with him may see that pay off uh, sooner rather than later. The Las Vegas Raiders go to the Carolina Panthers and win 34-30 to with Derek Carr completing 22 of 30 attempts for 239 yards and a score. Typical Derek Carr game. A lot of short and intermediate throws. He did test Henry Ruggs twice early on. One was incomplete. But one did go for 45 yards. But the story for the Raiders, Josh Jacobs. I mean, Josh Jacobs took 25 carries for 93 yards and three scores inside the 10-yard line. But most of all, something we've been clamoring for feels like for years. Six targets, four receptions for 46 yards. And one of those receptions was just an insane angle route. Forced Shaq Thompson like out of his shoes, basically, almost off the screen in his route, then made more defenders miss in the open field to pick up extra yards. I mean, that's important. You know, Jalen Richard got a contract extension. He ran behind Devontae Booker. Devontae Booker, yes, had three targets in this game, but Josh Jacobs just appeared to be the lead ball carrier, the feature back in every single way. He looked like the best receiving back on the field for the Raiders and hopefully continues to be used just like that moving forward. I mentioned with Ruggs, five targets, three receptions, 55 yards. Also had two carries for 11 yards. There was a period of, of play where on three of four plays, he, he touched the football and then left right before the second half with what appeared to be an ankle or a left knee injury. He did return after halftime, but that kind of limited 
his usage. And it also allowed Nelson Aguilar to come in and haul in his lone target for a 23-yard catch and 23-yard touchdown on a fadeaway shot by Derek Carr. Brian Edwards was barely involved, just one target for nine yards. This Las Vegas offensive line really held up against the Panthers. I mean, no sacks for Derek Carr today. On the flip side, you had Teddy Bridgewater's debut with the Panthers, 22 of 34, 270, one touchdown. There were stretches where he looked very solid, you know, taking what was given to him in the short to intermediate game, especially over in the middle of the field. The target distribution is what stood out. I mean, Robbie Anderson had eight targets. DJ Moore had nine targets. Curtis Samuel had eight targets. They all did differently on those opportunities. DJ Moore, just four receptions for 54 yards. Curtis Samuel, five receptions for 38 yards. Robbie Anderson, surprisingly, is the one who did the most. Six grabs, 115 yards, and a score, including a 75-yard touchdown. 25 of that was in the air. 50 was on his own. I mean, he completely made, I believe it was Damon Arnett, just made him look foolish in coverage. But, you know, there was no one player who manned the slot. You know, they, they kind of moved all around, and I wouldn't be surprised the target distribution remains very even throughout the season between all three of those players. Uh, it was not even to Ian Thomas, just two targets for 16 yards. I mean, he was not involved except for a two-minute drill to end the first half. Almost seems droppable at this point. And, you know, Chris McCaffrey kind of had a quiet game for his standards. 96 yards and 23 carries, two touchdowns, 38 yards and three receptions. But somehow he's just automatic. I mean, he just makes things happen and just finds the end zone easily. The Panthers better get used to this, though. I mean, their defense was horrible. They weren't getting a lot of disruption, a lot of pressure. They're going to be in a lot of high-scoring games, so there's going to be a lot of volume there. But overall, I was very optimistic about how the Raiders used Henry Ruggs, how they used Josh Jacobs. And with the Panthers, like I'm not sure if DJ Moore is going to you know, have 30 or 40 extra targets over the next wide receiver in this Panthers group. I think it's going to be a lot more compressed and closer than we expected heading into the season. Also, there was this awful red zone work by the Raiders where on third and goal from the four yard line, they decide to run a sprint out to Jason Witten. He can barely get two yards. I mean, he can't even move to get downfield. And then on fourth and goal from the two, decide to kick a field goal. I mean, just incredible stuff, John Gruden. Do better. Joe Brady had a brain fart of his own. Fourth and one, Panthers driving for hopefully the win. And gives the ball off to Alex Arma, the fullback, who does not get that one yard with Chris McCaffrey in the backfield. You also be better in that scenario, Panthers. Let's go over to a game that I did not cover. So I'll do my best to put in perspective for you. The Green Bay Packers go to the Minnesota Vikings. High-scoring affair here, 43-34. to The Packers win, and it's all on the arm of Aaron Rodgers. 32 of 44, 364 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, it was like one, two, three, back foot, deliver the football, ridiculous velocity, ridiculous placement, and boom, completion after completion to Devontae Adams, 17 targets, 14 receptions, 156 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, this game was not in hand for the Packers for most of it. In fact, just after the second quarter started, they were stuffed on fourth and goal down three to seven. Then you have a Jair Alexander safety, get the ball back, kick a field goal. Then you have this scenario where you have a Devontae Adams dime on the right side of the end zone. Then a Jair Alexander interception 
then with about 45 seconds left in the first half, it's vintage Aaron Rodgers. Just this ludicrous vertical shot to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Good coverage, just an even better unguardable catch. And before you know it, they're up 29 to 10. You know, so much offseason conversation circled around how Aaron Rodgers would react to Jordan Love. I know this is just a singular sample, but this is one of the better games that I've seen Aaron Rodgers play in quite some time. Alan Lazard was involved, caught all four of his targets for 63 yards and a score, also had a 19-yard run. MVS caught four of six targets, 96 yards and a score. And the second back, and it was mainly on these jet sweep type actions, was Tyler Irvin, three carries for 38 yards. Jamal Williams got a few, and A.J. Dillon barely was involved. This Packer team, if this was any indication, was really exciting. And the same cannot be said about the Vikings. I mean, I I questioned how this Vikings team would look differently without Kevin Stefanski, without Stephon Diggs, who was the best vertical receiver in the NFL last year. I mean, it was a major problem. They were able to score 24 points in the fourth quarter, but they were kind of meaningless points from a game perspective. Kirk Cousins, 19 of 25, 259, two touchdowns and an interception. Adam Thielen obviously blew up. Eight targets, six receptions, 110 yards, and two scores. They just simply do not have that second pass-catching threat. B.C. Johnson, four targets, 56 yards. Kyle Rudolph, two targets, 28 yards. Justin Jefferson, three targets, 26 yards. I even had people in my mentions getting excited about Irv Smith Jr. Good luck with that. One target, one reception, 11 yards. I mean, it, it, it just looked differently. And sure, those plays unfolded like I talked about, and they were immediately up on the scoreboard, then completely down on the scoreboard. And that's just not where this type of team wants to be that wants to play good defense, which they did not do today, and wants to run the football, which, you know, they got 50 yards out of Dalvin Cook and two scores. They got 50 yards out of Alexander Madison. But this game just got away from the Vikings. And I I don't think that with how their offense is built right now with Kirk Cousins in charge and just Adam Thielen catching passes as, you know, that true playmaker, I'm not sure that they can win a game like this. But, man, super impressive. Super impressive from Aaron Rodgers, and I cannot wait to see how he follows it up next week against the Detroit Lions, the next week against the Saints, the next week against the Falcons. This could be the best Aaron Rodgers season we've seen in the last two or three years, possibly. At least that's what week one shows. All right, before we close it, do want to remind you, if you want that little extra boost for your fantasy football season, head on over to rotoworld.com slash edge for our season-long tools. We have a start-sit We have a lineup optimizer. You can do your league sync connected to Yahoo or any other platform. It's awesome. Rotorworld.com slash edge. Use promo code FBPOD10 to get 10 bucks off. And if you go annually, it's just four bucks a month, $3.99. In fact, the price of guacamole. So go and check it out. All right. Closing up, Chicago Bears comeback victory over the Detroit Lions, 27 to 23 with four minutes left. The Bears were down 23-13. Mitchell Trubisky, 20-36, 2-42, and three touchdowns. Yes, three touchdowns for Trubisky to go along with 26 rushing yards. I will say, 
the highs of Mitchell Trubisky in this game were about as good as you can get from him. It's not like it was perfect, right? Because there were definitely some bad, bad moments, you know, doing the hokey pokey in the backfield and getting sacked and losing yardage and just some super errant throws. Like the negatives were absolutely glaring and the negatives were absolutely there. But the positives, the strengths, when those moments hit were, were fantastic. There was this one throw to Anthony Miller to go ahead touchdown that, I mean, was unguardable. It was this perfect lofted pass along the right pylon. You know, he was working off of his second read and third read and throwing into inside breaking routes. And, I, you know, I, I am not a Mitch believer watching after this game. Still not a Mitch believer, but you can win a game like this when that does happen because there are positives there. I just think there are so many negatives and the negatives still show up so often that it's going to catch up and up to you at some point. And in the long run, it's just not a winnable scenario. Do you want to bring up Anthony Miller four receptions, 76 yards and a score and six targets, Allen Robinson, nine targets, which led the team 74 yards. Even Jimmy Graham got a touchdown, almost another touchdown, 25 yards. David Montgomery is able to rack up 13 carries, 64 yards, one catch for 10 yards despite being hobbled heading into this. Thought he looked fine. Thought Tariq Cohen looked fine. Had an amazing catch along the sideline. None of these skill position players really stood out to me other than Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson. And those are the ones that you can continue to start with confidence, even if they are attached to Mitch Trubisky. Good performance for Mitch. For his standards, let's put it that way. All right, Detroit. Matthew Stafford played well despite his stat line. 24-42, one touchdown, one interception. I think that there's just a major drop-off when you don't have Kenny Galladay out there. And instead you're throwing to, you know, Quintess Cephas, who saw 10 freaking targets. Marvin Hall. I mean, the differences were selling for field goals instead of getting touchdowns. And that has to be an area of the field where Kenny Galladay is needed. I mean, Danny Amendola was the team's leading receiver, seven targets, five receptions, 81 yards. TJ Hawkinson had 56 and a touchdown. Marvin Jones took him a little while, but he ended up with 55 yards and in the backfield. I mean, Adrian Peterson owned it. He completely owned it. 14 carries, 93 yards, looked good, looked spry, looked explosive, even added three catches for 21 yards. Karrion Johnson barely got involved, seven carries. 14 yards, and DeAndre Swift, the rookie, simply was not ready for this game. I mean, saw five targets, dropped two, including the game-winning score with about 10 seconds to go. It was right there in his hands, and he simply was not ready for it. I mean, it makes you wonder, right? This team spent a mid-round pick on Kerryon Johnson, a second-rounder, right? A mid-round pick on DeAndre Swift, yet automatically Adrian Peterson, is their best back. Already he is. Yet his strength is not the passing game. And that's the strength of this team offensively. And you just have to wonder. I mean, I know Jeff Okuda was out. But when is Matt Patricia going to get his defense right? Again, you are in a winnable spot where a defense should be shining. 23-13 to 13 with four minutes to go. And you can't close it out. Stafford's interception was bad with about two minutes and 15 seconds to go. But still, your defense has to hold in that scenario, and they absolutely did not if you're known as this defensive genius. All right, that's going to do it for us. Again, we'll be back on Tuesday.
15-minute waiver pod with John Daigle. I'm Josh Norris. Thanks to all of our writers. Thanks to all of you listeners. Up the villa. Talk to you soon. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.